about like, you know, hey, just in the same way that if you're training to do a job or something, to be like a plumber or an electrician, right, you would, you would be training, you'd be discipling, to use our word, under a master technician, right, under a master craftsman. And the idea of discipleship, that's really just a fancy Christian word that means, hey, I am studying under the master in the hopes that one day I can be like the master. So, hey, I am studying under Jesus so that in, in the hopes that one day I can be like Jesus. And we've talked about God's roadmap and really dove deep. Uh, we call them here our four C's, uh, but they are connect in relationships where truth meets life, cultivate a personal relationship with Jesus, uh, contribute by serving, and care about people disconnected from God. And we've said that these four things are kind of God's roadmap for how he often works to disciple us to Jesus. So oftentimes, growing as a disciple looks like us growing or making progress or seeing a change in one of those areas. And so uh, today we're wrapping up talking about the care. See, uh, next week I'm going to preach a message and kind of try to bring all this to a head and to a close and kind of sum us up. Um, so anyway, so, you know, great time to come in. You know, I'll, I'll basically take 13 weeks and try and pack it into one week. So I'm sure it's going to be excellent sermon. So anyway, a little sarcasm there. Anyway, um, today's sermon is actually inspired by something that happened uh, a couple of months ago. Um, so before we started uh, planning for this series, in fact, before, like, I even kind of decided, hey, I want to spend summer talking about this. Um, I kind of grew concerned, o- concerned over the spring about how is our church doing really when it comes to helping people be like Jesus? You know, like, I like to tell myself, oh, we're doing great. You know, we're knocking it out of the park or whatever, right? But I, I am a terrible salesman unless the person I'm selling is myself. And so, you know, I'm always like, well, let's kind of see. And so for me, when I thought about, well, how can we evaluate this? Um, I wanted to uh, ask our leaders here and like our key kind of people here, hey, how are we doing really, you know? And so I created this survey, and it had some questions based on those four C's I shared with you earlier. And uh, one of the questions, you know, one of the questions talking about how do we care about people disconnected from God basically was, hey, let's say someone came up to you and said, I'm interested in being a follower of Jesus. Like, what would you say to them, you know? And some people had some good responses, but some of the responses, if I'm really honest, I was less than impressed with, right? And I don't say that to blame the people who responded that way. I say that to say, wow, that kind of reveals we haven't done a really good job equipping people for that. In fact, one of the responses, actually my favorite response in the whole survey, someone said, well, Wes, to be really honest, I'd probably just take them to the professional, you know? Like, I'd just take them to you, you know? Now, I'm honored that think so highly of me as a professional Christian that I could lead your friend or family member to know Jesus. Uh, But I kind of feel like, hey, I want you to be able to do that, right? Like, I don't want someone to be like, hey, I want to become a follower of Jesus. And you're like, hold on a sec, you know, let me get back to you on that. I need to see if you uh, meet the requirements or I don't know, whatever. And so literally today's message is going to be entirely talking about what does it look like to become a follower of Jesus? And how do we do that? Because here's kind of the, the big idea that spurred this is we can't help disconnected people connect to God if we don't know how to share the message about Jesus, right? Like I, I can't, 
if I want to connect you to Jesus, right, I need to know the directions for how to connect you to Jesus. You know, if you ask me, hey, how do you get to Schenectady, New Jersey from here? You know, like I on my own wouldn't be able to, t- I don't even know Schenectady's in New Jersey. I just realized that. So sorry, Schenectady viewers online, if you're there. Uh, we're huge in Schenectady, I'm sure. Saskatchewan too. Um, anyway, um, I just like picking weird S names. If you ask me, I would have no idea how to get you there, right? The first thing I would do is say, well, let me figure out the directions, right? I would pull out my phone, I'd get my trusty Maps app up and running, you know, and I would, I would Google it or I would use Apple Maps, right? I'd say, well, it appears that we need to hop on the freeway at some point, so let's go there, right? I would, I would use those directions, right? But I, on my own, could not get you to Schenectady, New Jersey, if I don't know where it is, how to get there, right? I don't know the directions or instructions to be able to do that. And the same way, we can't help people connect to God if we don't know how to point them to the good news about Jesus. And so today, I have kind of two goals that I want to accomplish here today. Because um, I realize in this room and online um, that I'm talking to two groups of people, okay? One group of you, you've already made a decision to follow Jesus, right? So hopefully, I'm not going to say anything in this message It's like, Wow, I've never heard that before. Sin? What is sin? You know, or like, Jesus, who's that? You know, the cross? What is that about? You know, like, I don't think there's going to be anything new for you. But my hope is, and I'll bring it at the close, I have a wonderful acronym that you can, it's a very stylish and cool acronym you can remember. So I know that's what we call a teaser uh, in the business right here, okay? So uh, anyway, but my goal is, hey, I want to talk through this with you in the hopes that you're able to talk through it with the people in your life who are disconnected from God in the hopes that you know, the people in your life who, who maybe one day might come to you with questions or ask you something, like that you actually know how to do this, okay? Just to be clear, this isn't like an invitation for you to like leave our church and like today and just walk up to your waitress or waiter at lunch and be like, if you died tonight, do you know where you would, right? You know, do one of those high pressure kind of things. You know, like this is not us trying to be weird, right? This is us trying to, me trying to equip you to know, hey, when this opportunity, when God presents this opportunity in my path, right, I want to be able to step into that. The second group of people I feel like I'm talking to today are those of you where you kind of feel like, hey, I've never really made a decision to follow Jesus, or I'm not sure if I have, or like, you know, hey, I'm a fan of Jesus, I like Jesus, you know, I don't know, whatever. And like today, I just want to share that message with you and give you an opportunity to respond. And again, I promise you, just like earlier, right, we're not going to end with like the, you know, high pressure sales pitch to follow Jesus or whatever, you know, but I want to give you an opportunity uh, to respond to that today. So before we dive in, uh, I want to pray, and uh, then we'll, we'll do that this morning. So would you pray with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for this message uh, of your good news uh, to us. And I pray today, Holy Spirit, uh, that you'd help me to present that as your good news. And I pray, uh, Father, I'm sure parts of my presentation are going to fall short. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray even from my mouth to people's ears, Uh, that you would even change those words and that message to be exactly what they need to hear, uh, that we might be able to grow as disciples of Jesus. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to look today, we're going to hop around one book of the Bible uh, called Romans. Now, Romans, I just called it a book of the Bible. That's a little misleading. Uh, Romans is actually a letter. And it was a letter written by a first century church leader named Paul. 
And uh, Paul was writing it to the church in Rome, hence Romans, so, you know, super creative with the title there. And uh, Paul is writing this letter, and it's kind of a weird letter. Um, a lot of the New Testament uh, is actually letters that Paul wrote to different churches, but usually when he wrote a letter to a church, it was a church that he had either visited before or a church that he'd had a hand in helping start, okay? Romans was not that. Um, in fact, as far as we know, Paul never actually got a chance to meet uh, the Roman church or anything, which is actually part of why he writes this letter, because he's basically uh, trying to pull like a, a Jay-Z, like, allow me to introduce myself, you know, like he's kind of writing this, like, this letter to be able to say to them, hey, this is who I am, this is what I'm all about, you know, like, I'm trying to make my way to Rome, like, Paul wanted to visit Rome, because Rome, back in the first century, that was, that was like the equivalent of going to L.A. or New York City, right? If you got a message that you're trying to broadcast, that's where you want to be, right? You know, to use our example from earlier, if you're really trying to make a big deal out of the message of Jesus, you're probably not being like, you know where I need to go? Schenectady, New Jersey. That's right, you know. So, like, that was the place you wanted to be. If you had a message to share, that's where you wanted to share it, right? And so Paul's trying to get to Rome, and basically he's writing this letter in advance of him going to Rome because he wants to kind of say to this church here, hey guys, I'm not some weirdo. Like, I want to let you know what I'm all about. You know, I want to let you know the message I preach so you can kind of do some fact checking and, you know, whatever, and kind of know that I'm not just some guy somewhere, you know? And so for us, the good news is, is that the letter to the Roman church is actually like a really great just kind of distillation of the message about Jesus. It's basically everything you need to know about becoming a follower of Jesus. And so uh, we're going to hop around Romans a lot today as we try to talk about, okay, so like, what does that look like? You know, how do I grow? How do I become a follower of Jesus? All that kind of stuff. So the good news about Jesus actually starts with some bad news ab about us, okay? Uh, Romans 3.23, Paul writes this. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is actually the first Bible verse I ever memorized in, in my preschool class at Sunday school growing up, um, which shows you a lot about the preschool I went to, a very positive place. Like, you know, from age three, we want you to know you're a sinner, you know, whatever. Anyway, so I'm going to try to talk about sin a little bit here today and not do it like preachers do where we turn it into like a four-syllable word. Like, let me, t let me tell you about sin, you know, like turn it into that kind of thing. Okay, so I'm going to try not to do that. Um, sin is actually, you may not know this, sin's an archery term, okay? Uh, sin literally just means to, to miss the mark. That's what sin means, okay? And so this spiritual context, sin, actually just talks about how we have missed the mark of God's perfect standard for us, okay? That, that we, have, we have fallen short of that mark. And Paul's point is, all of us have done that. Now, one of the things that we do oftentimes here in this world is we kind of get focused on, well, who fell short more, right? Like, like who, who's worse at this, right? Because true, all of us don't sin the same way. Some of us sin more, some of us sin less. Some of us don't sin very much, but when we sin, we make it count, you know? Like, that's why I like to do, you know? Like, get, get all, in, you know? Uh, there's a pastor named Craig Rochelle. He says, hey, if sin ain't fun, you ain't doing it right. You know, that's kind of his thing. I was like, yeah, that, that's good, Pastor Craig. Nicely, nicely said. But the idea being, hey, we have fallen short of God's mark for us, right? If I had, you know, two swimming pools that were identical, like above ground swimming pools, I told you, hey guys, 
One pool had 100 kids pee in the pool, and one kid had 25 kids pee in the pool. Which one would you rather swim in? You know, you'd probably be like, well, my option would be C, none of the above, right? Like that would actually be the pool I would like to go in, right? But that's kind of what we do with sin, right? We compare ourselves to someone that we feel like we're less of a sinner than, and we're like, see, so I'm like a pretty good person, right? You know, when the reality is we're like, see, my pool only has 25 kids at P day, yours has 75, you know, like whatever, you know, get like, we're kind of like, that's not really the point, you know, that, that's not really the, the thing that's an issue right here, right? What's the issue is we've fallen short of God's perfect standard. And the problem with falling short of God's perfect standard, Paul outlines for us a couple chapters later. He says, the wages of sin is death. Another real positive verse, so we're starting off here, right? So Paul says, uh, the wages of sin, the payback for sin, right? If you're an employee somewhere, you work your job, right? And every week, every two weeks, every month, right? You get a paycheck. And hopefully that paycheck is money, right? It's not like, you know, here's buttons or I don't know, or they, right? Like you get cold, hard cash, right? Paul's saying, hey, when you work, when you are an employee of Sin Incorporated, one of the images the Bible often uses to talk about our relationship with sin is we are slaves to sin, Okay. Paul says, hey, the paycheck you get at the end of that is death, okay? This happens in multiple ways. Um, one of the things that the Bible constantly talks about in regard to sin is that sin always has a gotcha attached, which is why God is so concerned about sin because he doesn't want the gotcha to get you, you know? And you've probably noticed this in your life that when you invite sin into your life, there, there is a death of sorts that always comes on the tail end attached to that, right? So like, hey, my online shopping thing, right? That was really great. That was really fun, right? I have nothing against online shopping, right? But I overspent, right? I didn't manage my resources wisely. And what's the death that comes at the end of that? Well, the death comes when I'm like, you know, in credit card debt or whatever, right? You know, we could talk about a sin like anger, right? You know, hey, my anger, I've just got a crazy temper, and I fly off the handle and whatever, right? And what happens? Well, that inevitably brings death to your relationships to some degree, right? Even if you work it out with the person you're angry at, right, there's still kind of that hitch in the road, right? There was still kind of that challenge in the road. Not to mention there's kind of a death that occurs in me, right? Because whether I know it or not, I'm a slave to anger, right? I'm kind of drawn and driven by my anger everywhere all the time, right? Death is always attached to sin, but unfortunately, it's not just like a kind of metaphorical death. It's also a real physical death. In Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about how uh, the, the earth is groaning under the weight of sin, right? The idea that when sin, like, we think of sin as like an action or a thing, right? Like, the Bible actually speaks about sin like a force that has kind of corrupted our world. It's kind of like a virus that's kind of gotten into the DNA of our very world and of us, and it's kind of doing what viruses do, right? It's just infecting cells and multiplying, and, and it has negative effects as a result. And unfortunately, sin and its entry into the world means that our creation and each of us live under the curse of sin, which brings physical death and it brings spiritual death because God is perfect and God is holy. And while that's a wonderful thing about God, the problem with, with being perfect and holy is, man, you can't mingle something perfect and pristine with something dirty and messed up 
and not have it, you know, not still have a perfect and pristine thing, right? You know, if, if I took a, a cup of clean water and a cup of dirty water and I poured the dirty water into the clean water, right? Like, you, hey, you, now you just have one big dirty glass of water, right? That's kind of the idea, right? And God's standard isn't, hey, it's good or good enough or even really, really good, right? His standard is perfection. And because we fall short of that, we are separated from God, and separation from God, that is spiritual death, right? That's exactly when Jesus gave his life on the cross. That's what he experienced, right? The, the, the hardest part about the cross for Jesus, I don't think, was the, like, hey, I'm on a cross, right? The hardest part was the separation from the Father. Because in that moment, 2 Corinthians tells us, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, right? The idea that Jesus was taking upon himself the sin of all eternity, right? I have no idea what that feels like, but I can't imagine that was a pleasant feeling, right? And Jesus experienced death on our part, right? The death that Paul writes here, our sin has earned us, our sin deserves. Here's the reality about the message of Jesus. Here's the reality about the good news, guys. is we can't receive the good news about Jesus, without accepting that we are broken and we are in trouble as a result, right? If we, can't, if we can't bring ourselves to admit, you know what? I'm a sinner and that sinner causes separation from God, right? We can't receive the good news about Jesus because in fact, it's not really that good a news at all, right? Because I think everything is just fine with me. This is the precursor for us actually becoming disciples and followers of Jesus. Just think about what you know about the life of Jesus. The, the people that Jesus was always on the outs with were the religious leaders. And part of the reason why Jesus was always on the outs with these people was because the religious leaders just thought, I'm perfect all the time. You know, like the religious leaders thought, I, I don't need any sin to atone for, right? I'm good. I'm like perfect. And they would look at their super righteous acts and how pious and religious they were. And we go to church like seven times a week and we help all the old ladies across the street and we do all the nice stuff, right? You know, and they couldn't accept that. Meanwhile, the people that Jesus like were flocking to him, right, were the people who were labeled in the Bible as, as the sinners, right? And the reason they flocked to Jesus is because it wasn't too far a leap for them to say, yeah, Something's wrong with me. Something's broken inside of me. And I need help. I need help is the, is the foundation. It is the starting ground. It is the fertile soil from which my following Jesus grows up. Which leads us to the good news about Jesus. Earlier I read from Romans 3.23. But 3, Romans 3.23 doesn't end with a period. It ends with a comma. Which means as in like, hey, here's part of the thought, but I want to continue the rest of the thought here. And Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, Paul says three things here that are really important for us to know. Number one thing he says is, is that we are justified, Okay. I love what Derwin Gray, he's a pastor in South Carolina, says. He says, to be justified means 
it's just as if I'd never sinned is kind of his, his definition of that, right? Think about in your life when like you kind of go like, yeah, I'm justified, right? You've got like a sweet argument with like your spouse or your boyfriend or your roommate or whatever, and they think something crazy like, you know, Steph Curry isn't like the all-time leading three-point shooter they thought was like Rick Barry, and then you look it up online and you find out I was right and you were wrong, right? You are justified, right? You're like, man, throw it down right there, you know, whatever it is, right? And you discover that, right? That's kind of the image of what, what Jesus has done for us on the cross, right? He's made us justified. He, he has made us just as if we'd never sinned. The second point is we are, we are justified freely by God's grace, okay? It is a free and gracious gift, okay? This is really important for us to understand because one of the things that we often think about how we get right with God, and tell me this is totally my story, tell me if this has ever been your story, that I think the way to get right with God is I become a more right person and then God loves me more and and then like I'm okay with God, right? The message of the gospel is, no, like all your efforts to get right with God they're going to fall short, and even if they were perfect, right, you still can't go back in the past and erase all the stuff that you didn't do in the past that lived up to God's standard for you, right? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to offer you this gift of justification before God freely as an act of grace, okay? When your child parents has a birthday, you don't give them a gift, and they take the gift, and then like three months later, you're like, well, Billy, we had a meeting last night and we decided that uh, your, your quarterly performance numbers as a member of this family are not living up. And so I'm going to need the transformer toy we gave you back again, right? Like, no, yep, no more mega transformers for you. It's just, it's bread and water. This is a prison now. Uh, welcome to your life, you know, whatever it is, right? You don't do that, right? Because you understand when I give my child a gift, it's a gift, right? I don't, I don't rescind it, right? Now, you as a parent, right, you might, like, put it up on a shelf for a time, right, whatever, right? But you don't, you don't take it away. You don't nullify it. You don't say, hey, we filed for an official gift annulment right now. And so, like, the, the, the Transformers toy never even existed. You actually got coal last Christmas, you know, or whatever it is, right? You don't do that, right? Because it's a gift, and we understand when you give someone a gift, right, it's them. There's, it's theirs. There's no take backs. There's no whatever, right? It is a free and gracious gift, okay? Here's the really good news. If I didn't perform my way into God's graces, that doesn't mean that my lack of performance means I am out of God's graces. Am I making sense here? Right? That, that my inability to perform well for God, however you want to define that, if I feel like, man, I am sucking it up right now, right? Here's the great news. God didn't let me into his kingdom because I was such a wonderful, upstanding, moral person. In fact, God let me into his kingdom even though I wasn't a very upstanding and moral person, okay? I just want to make, show you an example here of this, okay? One of the examples of a person who received God's grace that Paul makes in the letter to the Romans is a guy named Abraham, okay? You may know some of Abraham's story. It's kind of a big deal, not just in Christianity, but in Islam and uh, Judaism too. Yes, he's got the three major world religions covered, you know. 
So Abraham, his deal was, you know, he's 75. His wife isn't much younger than he is. You know, they're, they, they aren't exactly at the point in life where they're thinking, you know, Sarah, I was just thinking maybe today would be a good day to start a family. You know, like I think it's 70, 75, you know, we finally got everything lined up. Our mutual funds are performing really nicely, you know, like that, that investment, you know, like that's good. Nope, they've been trying to have kids their entire life and they couldn't. Everything in their life was going great. They were rich. They had all the resources you could want, but they couldn't have a child, which meant as soon as they, you know, kicked the bucket, all their stuff is going away. Their name is not going to live on. And so Abraham would just kind of, I imagine, just kind of cry out to no one in particular to say, hey, I wish we could have a kid, you know. And one day God appears to Abraham at age 75 and says, Abraham, you're going to have a son. You know, and so Abraham's like, wow, sounds like really good news, you know. And so, so he believes in God for the impossible. Took a while, you know, he's about 100 when it finally happened. But Abraham and his wife Sarah, they finally have a son. And here's, here's what Paul writes happens as a result of, of Abraham's decision to trust God to do something seemingly impossible on his behalf. Romans chapter 4. He says, yet he, talking about Abraham, Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay, now, Alex, go back one verse for us here. If you know, I've left some key details about Abraham's story out, okay? And if you know Abraham's whole story, you know these phrases, he didn't waver and he was fully persuaded God could do what he promised. Those phrases, those are very generous recountings, let's say, of how Abraham approached his situation. Because the part of Abraham's story I left out is at some point between 75 and 100 when he finally had this kid, uh, at some point, Abraham, you know, and we can understand where they're coming from, right? You know, he gets this great news from God. And so I imagine he and Sarah, they go home and they start trying to have a kid, you know, and she's stocking up on her clear blue pregnancy tests, you know, and she like, you know, a week later, not pregnant. And a couple weeks later, still not pregnant. And then a month later, not pregnant. And Sarah's like, well, maybe I'm just not reading it right. You know, is it two lines there? Is it only one line? I can't really tell, you know. And so, so they kind of keep going this. And eventually those months turn into six months, turn into a year, turn into years. And now they're kind of getting desperate. And so Abraham eventually goes to his wife and says, hey, Sarah, you know, God promised that we would have a kid, but like he didn't say how. And so I was thinking, you know, you know that like 20-year-old maidservant that you have who's, you know, much younger and a little more better looking and, you know, whatever. Like I was thinking maybe like maybe what God meant is I'm supposed to marry her and sleep with her and then she'll have a kid, and that'll be like me having a kid. It's kind of like us having a kid, you know, because God knows we tried, right, you know. And so let's, let's just try that. Now, I know this is going to be really hard to believe, guys. That didn't work out very well. I, I know. On the surface, you're like, wow, that sounds like a great plan. That's not, like, where could the flaw in this plan be, you know, right? That doesn't exactly strike me as the actions of a man who is fully persuaded God can do anything, right? That doesn't exactly strike me as a guy who's like, you know what? I know things seem down now, honey, but like I am, I'm not giving up. God is for sure going to come through and this is going to happen and he's going to do that. You know, we're going to be good, you know? 
Nope. And yet, God's grace is so deep and so great and is for like people who just totally blow it like Abraham, okay? That Abraham is actually able to be lifted up in scripture as an example of the kind of guy that God still showers grace upon for trusting him to do a seemingly impossible thing. Even though you and I both really know Abraham didn't exactly do, you know, A plus job at trusting God to do an impossible thing, right? And so I got to think, if Abraham's example can be something that God says, I can go with that. I feel like my example, I feel like your example, false flaws and all, all, right, of trying to believe in God to do the seemingly impossible, of forgiving our sin, right? If Abraham can qualify, I think we can qualify if we will place our faith in Jesus, right? But Romans 3.24, it doesn't just say that he was justified freely by grace. It also talks about how we were redeemed through Jesus Christ, okay? Redemption, redeemed, that's a word that was a financial word. Oftentimes, um, back in the day, uh, redemption was a word that would be used to talk about a servant uh, who worked in someone's family, and they earned enough to kind of basically buy their way out of servitude, right? And so they would be redeemed. And basically what redemption means is, hey, you're under new management now. You, you've, been, you've been bought from this manager and placed under this manager now. Your, your freedom, if you want to think of it that way, has been activated in a new way. We still kind of use that today, like, um, you know, like think about if you have a, like a coupon code, right? What you do, you, you redeem it at checkout, right? That's kind of like the word for, hey, I'm, I'm activating this code for free shipping or 20% off or, you know, whatever it is, right? Like that's what Jesus has done for us, that he's kind of the coupon code, if I could say that, right? That kind of activates that no longer are we under slavery to sin, Right, we have been, we've been activated. We've been brought out of sin. God, through Jesus, has redeemed us from our brokenness, okay? That we no longer are under the mastery of sin. But Jesus has said, hey, through my death on the cross and through your faith in me, my Holy Spirit lives in you, and my Holy Spirit is going to empower you. It's going to give you the power to do spiritually what you could never do before. That I'm actually going to empower you to live differently, to live in a way where sin is no longer your master, right? So just to summarize, God has justified us through Jesus, right? He has made it so, so we, like we'd never sinned. He has redeemed us freely, right? So that redemption piece, we're under new management now. And he has redeemed us freely by grace, right? So it's a gift from God, right? It's something that all of us can be candidates for. It's something that all of us can, can qualify for, okay? We receive that gift through belief in Jesus, right? That's the way that we kind of activate those three gifts, right? We place our faith in Jesus. Paul talks about what that looks like later in Romans. He says in Romans chapter 10, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved, right? So there are a couple key things happening there, right? I'm declaring with my mouth. I'm openly confessing, right, that Jesus is Lord. And that open confession is kind of a double double thing, right? Because I'm saying both 
Jesus is Lord, as in like Jesus is God's son. He is the Lord of my life. He's got the authority to call the shots. And I'm also saying Jesus is my Lord, right? Like I'm actually going to yield to him. I'm actually going to live as his, the word we've been using all summer. I'm going to live as his disciple, right? And then Paul says, and if you'll place your faith that, hey, God's raised him from the dead, that Jesus died, he was buried, he rose from the dead, right? Like he is actually secured through those actions, the power to be victorious over sin, right? He says, you shall be saved. And the way that we kind of publicly demonstrate in the Bible that that belief in Jesus is through the act of baptism. Uh, Paul actually writes in Romans 6, he says, uh, we were therefore buried with him, with Jesus, through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too can live a new life. All right, we just celebrated a baptism in our church a couple weeks ago. And one of the beautiful things about baptism is this kind of a picture of what Jesus does with us, right? We walk into the water, we, we go under the water to symbolize dying to our old way of life, and then we come up out of the water to symbolize us being raised to walk in a new life, just like Paul says right there, right? That, that baptism is kind of the mark, it's the sign, it's the picture uh, of how we, we kind of openly declare ourselves, hey, I am becoming a disciple, a follower of Jesus, right? That that's what baptism does. It, it marks that decision. It marks us as followers of Jesus, okay? So once we place our faith in Jesus, right, we kind of activate that faith, we receive God's grace through us, right? What do we do from there? And I think that's a question that some of us, you may be a follower of Jesus for a really long time, and you're kind of like, I don't really know. Like, okay, so like, good, I'm saved from sin, or right? I'm saved from spiritual death. That sounds really nice. So now I got like, you know what, I don't know, about 40, 50 years, you know? So like, what do I do now? You know, like that, you know, like, just kind of watch TV, you know? Like, I don't know, like think about what's on Disney Plus, you know? Like, like what am I supposed to do, you know? And so that's where this last piece comes in. Um, the final part of this is that God redeems us so that we can join him in restoring the world. The story of scripture is when God creates the world, right? He creates this perfect world. Every time God makes something, what does he say? He says, it is good, right? He looked at such and such and it was good. Man, he looked at the bird he made and he's like, it is good. That is the best bird I have ever seen, you know? And we live in Florida, right? So we see some giant freak birds, you know? And it's like, man, that's the most amazing bird right there. Man, that bug right there that looks so creepy and weird, that's like the, that's the buggiest bug I've ever seen. That is so good, you know, right? Like he looks at his world and it's perfect, right? But sin comes in, it breaks it, it mars it. But God has redeemed us from sin. He's placed us under new management, not so we can behave our way into his good graces, but so that we can actually join him in his work of restoring a broken world. I have a friend named Debbie, and uh, Debbie owns a restoration business, okay? Uh, she runs it with her husband and her daughters. And so they take, you know, like she'll post pictures on her Instagram and stuff all the time. But they'll find some old piece of furniture, right? It's like, you know, like uh, this was Dwight D. Eisenhower's side table, you know, whatever, right? And it looks like it's been through a couple of bar fights and it did not come out the winner. You know what I mean? Like, like it was looking pretty rough. And sure enough, like Debbie will post this picture and then they get to work restoring it, right? I have no idea how you restore furniture. I imagine it's like in Charlie Brown when they just, you know, move their hands over the tree and it just magically, you know, becomes perfect or whatever, right? 
But she'll like go to work restoring it and she'll post a picture of like the before and after and you just can't believe it. You're like, whoa, you know, like, whoa, like I just thought that was a piece of crap, you know, and like now it's a thing that you're going to make $7 trillion off of, right? Because Joanna Gaines is going to buy, I don't know, whatever, right? And so they do this, right? Because Debbie has this eye for being able to see things that are broken, they're messed up, but knowing that they still have some glory trapped inside of them, right? And so what does she do? She gets to work and she brings the glory from the inside to the outside where everything can see it. As imperfect and messed up as our world is, guys, the glory of God is still within it. As messed up and imperfect as I am, as you may feel, as you may look at your roommate and think, oh my gosh, how can one of God's glorious creatures live this way with 7,000 dishes piled up in the sink? You know, whatever it is, right? You know, they still somewhere deep down inside have God's glory in, inside of them, right? And here's why God saves us. So we can join him in his restoration work in the world. Bringing the glory that's trapped on the inside into the outside. Paul writes in Romans chapter 7. He says, so my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. So he's saying, hey, you, you place your faith in Jesus. You're dead to the old way of living. You're under new management, right? You're doing a new thing now. So that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God, right? That, that's restoration language. That's what the bearing fruit is. For when we were in the when we lived, you know, in our old way, the sinful passions roused by the law were at work in us, so we bore fruit for death. Oh, wow, that sounds like real, real good fruit, you know, like that's nice, right? But now, by dying to what's bound us, we've been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Here's what, here's what Paul is writing. Hey, when God redeemed you from sin, he redeemed you from sin so you could join, join him in his work of bearing fruit and restoring the world. When we help a disconnected person connect to God, we, we are playing a role in, in restoring glory in our world, right? When we, when we, you know, become active for the environment, right? We are, we are actually joining God in, in restoring our physical world, right? Like God, God created the world. He cares about it. He actually entrusted you and I to be the caretakers of it, right? We, we are joining him in restoring the world. When we, when we get angry and raise our voices about injustice, whether it be sexism or racism or any of the number of things that happen in our world, right? We are joining God in restoring the world, right? Restoring the world doesn't just have to be a, can I tell you about Jesus today, right? That's a part of it. But restoring the world can also be us saying, hey, I see a place in our world that's broken down that needs a follower of Jesus to join God in his mission to make it right, to restore it, to bring out the glory that's trapped on the inside to the outside. And that's a lifelong project. I don't know if you've noticed, our world has a lot of restoring that's needed. We get the privilege to follow Jesus to join him in that restoration work. Now, as I wrap up, I've said a lot of stuff, okay? And I promised you a really easy way to remember this, okay? So when we think about, you know, like all the stuff I just said, I think you can break it down to eight simple words, okay? Here are the eight simple words I came up with. We're broken, God redeemed. Did I only put two words? Good job. 
Well, you know, you only need four plus the four I'm going to give you, okay? So, we're broken, God redeemed, I believe, and we restore, okay? We're broken, God redeemed, I believe, we restore, okay? Now, here's, here's the, like the four real key words are broken, redeemed, believe, and restore, right? So as you probably know, I share from time to time, when I was in college, you're like, wow, what a stylish, good-looking young man, right? Well, it's because when I was in college, I worked at, at The Gap, you know? Like, I, I was real hot and cool. I was probably the only three-year employee in the history of The Gap that was able to work for three years at the company and still lose money on the whole transaction because I would spend it all on clothing that I didn't need, okay? So thank you, Alex. Good job. So... Here, The Gap, you may not know this, has a, has a very classy sister brand called Banana Republic, right? If you're trying to get like real slim suit, you know, or look real, real sharp. Ladies, you're trying to get that beautiful black cocktail dress, you know, that you need for that, you know, gala that you're going to go to or whatever, you know, or your, you know, 4th of July barbecue, whatever you're doing, right? So the way I remember this is you just got to remember Banana Republic squared, right? BRBR, right there, right? So you do that. Now, you're laughing right now. You're like, oh my gosh, you spent all week, and that, that is what you came up, like, that is what you did, okay? You say that now, but on Wednesday, you're going to be like, Banana Republic squared. Man, I hate that guy, you know, right? Like, like see, it's going to be in there. It's so dumb, it works, right? So that's, uh, that, that's actually on my business. It's so dumb, it works. That's on my business card, actually, okay? So you're going to be like, man, how can I help someone follow you? Oh, yeah, that's right, Banana Republic Squared, right? That's what I do. Anyway, so, so you can remember BR, BR, Banana Republic Squared. You can come up with some inferior illustration that you want to come up with. You know, it's not going to be nearly as great and cool as mine that I came up with, right? But this is a story of how we connect to God. This is a story of the good news, of the gospel, of the story that has the power to change us. I don't know if you ever stop and think about, um, about Christianity, right? When Christianity started, it was about, you know, Jesus, when he goes back into heaven, it's a hundred people, most of whom didn't know how to read or write, versus the Roman Empire, right? Now, I don't know what the Vegas odds were on that. Like, which one of these two do you think is going to outlast the other, right? I'm going to guess you could probably get pretty good odds on the hundred people that can't read or write versus the Roman Empire, right? And yet, we are here today because that simple gospel story of our world is broken, God has redeemed it, I believe Jesus is who he says he is, right? That he is the risen son of God, and I join God in the restoration of the world, right? That message is so true, so fundamental to, to the human experience that the message of Christianity took off like wildfire while the seemingly mighty Roman Empire eventually crumbled and faded. And the message of Jesus is going to be around when the empire of, you know, I don't know, you name it, right? The Ottoman Empire, the Empire of the United States of America, right? When our heyday is way past us one day, right? Like, like the message of Jesus is still going to be there because it's the truth of God that changes lives. And so here's what I want to do as we close today. I'm going to invite Johnny back up. We're going to sing one last song here in a few moments. But we're going to do two things today. Um, well, one thing as we close. Um, for those of you in this room, you're a follower of Jesus. You've, you like, hey, I'm preaching that. And you're like, amen. Yeah, that's my story. Woo, you know, whatever, right? Like, that's awesome. 
we're going to finish up our time. We're going to take communion together. Okay? Communion, we have juice and bread that symbolize Jesus' blood and body given for us. And every week when we take communion, it's basically just a retelling to ourselves of this gospel story, right? It's a reminder of, man, I'm a sinner. These elements I hold in my hand right now, they are a reminder of how Jesus has redeemed me. I, I am kind of recommitting myself in faith to Jesus. And now I am reminding myself that I get the privilege of joining him and bringing restoration to the world. And, and so... Uh, if, after I pray, uh, if that's you, great. Come take communion. Let's use this time as a reminder. For those of you in this room, you're not a follower of Jesus. Those of you online, not a follower of Jesus. I want to use this opportunity to give you a chance to say, hey, I want to place my faith in the message of Jesus. I've never done that. I'm not sure if I've done that. All right, if that's you, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm just going to be hanging out in the back corner right there. I'm going to be you know, singing, you know, whatever. So like, please don't like walk back from community. Like, well, he seems like he needs someone to talk to. I'm going to be just fine, right? But if that's you and you need to talk to someone and you're like, hey, I don't even know if I believe this, but I just feel like I should talk about it with someone or sort it out with someone. Great. Like, I'd love to do that with you. We can go to my office. We can do it in the corner. We can set up time to do it. Whatever you want to do, right? I, I, I would just love to have that conversation with you and talk about your next steps. I I'm, I'm just want to make that open invitation to you. Those of you watching online, those of you, you know, in the future, posterity, you know, 20 years from now, whatever, you just email us at info at crossbridgechristian.com. We'd love to follow up with you and talk with you about what, how we can do that. Again, that's info at crossbridgechristian.com. So uh, with that said, I'm going to pray for us. Let's go ahead and take communion in a few minutes. Uh, Johnny's going to lead us in uh, some song, uh, songs we can sing together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this gospel message that changes lives. And Father, in the same way that it changed, has changed lives throughout history, it still changes lives today. And Jesus, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that your gospel message would change lives. It would shape us. It would change us. It would heal us. It would restore us. Father, that we would experience your working in us as we place our faith uh, in the message about Jesus. Father, equip us in this room to join you in the work of restoration, whether that is restoration in our world or the restoration of helping someone connect to God. Father, as we take these symbols of bread and juice, reminding us of Jesus' body and blood given for us, I pray we would do so reminding ourselves of just the glory and the wonder and the beauty and the greatness of that sacrifice. We pray all this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, whenever you're ready, we've got the stations in the back of the room. Uh, we've got some single-serve ones in those baskets by your seat if you prefer to do it that way. But let's take communion together. <clears throat>